Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Zara McDonald, my favourite little beach hero over there, and me, Michelle Andrews. How are we? I'm good. I need to turn this down now. It's grating my ears. Coming up on today's show, the allure of a cool company and how they are transcending pop culture, Billie Eilish's comments about Drake that have much of the celebrity world talking, and then a very special instalment of Zara Predicts. But first, Zara, how was your week? My week has been good. We are so close to Christmas. If I keep saying this every week, is it going to get more and more annoying? Like very much probably. Um, I have to say I committed this week to trying to do things to calm my mind. I've never been into meditation. I've never been into what else? Other things that are like anti-chaotic. Didn't you? Yeah. So I went and did one of those salt float things. Is that a royal waste of money? Well, this is what's interesting. I had a voucher because two of my really good friends, Britt and Bella, bought me a voucher for my birthday back in July. And I I found the voucher this week and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to book in. And I was so committed to doing it properly. Like I was so committed to being like, I am going to be the world's most calm person after I walk out of this. And when you say do it properly, you mean lie. It's like an egg, right? Because I haven't been, it's like an an egg structure where you lie in salt water and you float. Yes. So it's all, it's such salty water that you float and you can fall asleep. Like they encourage you to fall asleep in there. And so I got there and I I really wanted to fall asleep. Like I was committed to falling asleep. And I got there and the first thing they say is, yep, like you're ready to go get in there, jump in the water. And my boyfriend came with me, but he was in a room next door and I was texting him and I was like, we have found ourselves in one of those situations where they don't tell you how many clothes to wear. <laughs> Do you know that scenario? Where, Did you go naked? Well, this is the thing, right? And we were texting about it back and forth and he's like, chill out. I'm just going naked. And I have this fear. I was like, no, there's going to be cameras in here. Oh Someone's going to walk in. But do you know the feeling of like going to a massage or when I used to got my first fake tan? Fake tan's so awkward. And you never want to be the one that takes off too many clothes. Like yep. what if they walk in there and they're like, whoa, indecent like assault. You've just <laughs> taken off too many clothes. So I had to Google it. I spent the first five minutes of the salt float being too stressed and Googling whether I was allowed to go in without clothes. Turns out you're encouraged to go in with that. Those things are so difficult to know. Like when I got my first Brazilian wax, I'm like, do I take my undies off yet? Like when do I do that bit? I actually think this is an unspoken fear of many (laughs) appointments. I think the people in these who work in these (laughs) industries are so used to the answer that they don't realise that so many people are walking in blind. Anyway, so I get in the float and I'm floating and I'm like, it's not like, it's so lovely, but there's a lot of like disco lights going on. And so I just lie in there and I couldn't fall asleep and I was quite disappointed in myself. And it was an hour. So disco lights aren't really conducive to a Zen environment either. So I get out and we walk into the car and I said to Ollie, how did you go? And he said, great. I slept like the entire time. And I was like, what about the disco lights? Like these flashing colorful lights that were in the pod the whole time. Where were the disco lights it from the, the water? There was from like, above? Yeah, from above. And he was like, sorry, you meant to turn those off. So I wasted like $75 of my money because I didn't know that with the float you needed to turn the disco lights off. I would recommend, if not going to a float, I also downloaded Smiling Mind. That's a really yeah, – I know I that Smiling is Mind. a very basic recommendation. But if you are looking for things to calm your mind and to get into early stages of meditation or mindfulness, things like that are great. And if you do the salt float properly, Ollie swears by it. <laughs> How was your week? We should get Ollie on the phone yeah. to be like, Ollie, sell us the salt float. Before you move on, I do want to say I think I saw you stack it spectacularly about twice this week. I had a lot of falls. You fell a lot. There were so many bruises on your legs as well. And we were on like a shoot, like a campaign shoot on Friday. And the first thing the brand said was like, 
Zara, what's with all the bruises on your leg? <laughs> I don't know. And then you spilled a coffee all over your outfit. So it was a good week, but I had a lot of issues. <laughs> oh my God. I had a very similar week. You know those weeks when you were like that one day a month where you were just spectacularly hormonal? Yes. We're, we're having a very like feminine start to today's <laughs> podcast. My day of that is ovulation day. And every day that I ovulate, every month, I'm like, I'm just beside myself emotional and I break out. And this month I had this huge pimple and Mitch got home from work and I was literally cuddled up in bed, complete, like my hair wet from the shower. I had a face mask on and I was just sobbing uncontrollably because <laughs> I was so emotional about this pimple on my face. So it wasn't the best day, but luckily Mitch came home and he's like, all right, what can we do? And it was kind of like team crisis management for the pimple. And he's like, I'm going to go to Priceline. What product do you want me to get? And I was like, okay, well, I'll do my research. I found, I like I don't normally get blind pimples, but I found a product that I swear to God will reduce the size of your pimple and take away the pain, which I think is a really important. You know how they can be so painful? Yeah, what is it? I'm going to put up photos on my Instagram story of a before and after within 24 hours. I don't think I showed you, Zara. I think you think I'm overreacting because I had covered it with concealer every time I had seen you that week. And I kept complaining about this pimple and you were like, it's not that bad. Like, well, stop being so dramatic. <laughs> I didn't say stop being so dramatic, but it was definitely in my tone. I'm going to show you a photo from when it was at its absolute worst. And I swear to God, I'm not over-exaggerating. And then I'll show you 24 hours later. Look at it here. It looks infected. Yeah, you've just zoomed in. No, that's like half my nose. It's not half your nose. It's anyway, nose. <laughs> I'm glad that there was a solution to fix it. Can you tell, you've, you've clickbaited us the entire time. My sincere apologies. The product you need to buy to save yourself from stubborn, deep under the skin, blind pimples, say before a wedding or a big occasion that you want to look your best for, is called Revolution Overnight Blemish Lotion. It costs $20. It's from Priceline. And I swear to God, it removed the redness and it reduced the size and it made it so much more manageable and it made my mood far, far better than what it was. So $20. It's got really great reviews online and I can definitely vouch for it. I think it's a really good product. Well, there you go. Blemish control. You're welcome. <laughs> oh and God. salt floats. Both <laughs> end of the spectrum. Just a real motley crew this morning. <laughs> Zara, we are starting today. There was an article that we actually put on the Shameless Podcast Instagram story. Go and follow us over there if you are not already. And the reason we shared it on Instagram, and it actually had a huge response from our listeners right back at us, was because it speaks so closely to an experience of millennial toxic work environments. The article itself was titled Emotional baggage and the stand first just screamed out to us. It read, Away's founders sold a vision of travel and inclusion, but former employees say it masked a toxic work environment. It was in The Verge, The Verge, which is an American digital news publication that exists under the Vox media banner. Why did it stand out to us so much? Well, I clicked on it straight away because it was about the company culture of a company called Away. And for those of you who spend a lot of time on Instagram, which I assume is all of you, <laughs> you might have seen Away's luggage. They were kind of the first brand to come on Instagram and revolutionise direct-to-consumer suitcase and luggage production. But they branded themselves as far more than just a luggage company. They branded themselves as like this ethereal travel company. Lifestyle. Exactly. And they didn't just market a product, they marketed themselves in the mm -hmm. process. They were like this unicorn startup, two female founders, one a woman of colour, Jen Rubio and Steph Corey. They absolutely smashed it in terms of raising funding.
trending and it was like the coolest company to both buy from and work for. So I clicked in it straight away because I was so intrigued to see a company that I've seen saturate my Instagram feed suddenly be exposed for a company that is allegedly very toxic. Absolutely. So this was a piece written by technology journalist Zoe Schiffer. She took three months to work on this story and did 14 interviews with ex-employees of Away. And what she uncovered is that the depiction of Away online and the branded message online that it's this great place to work and such an empowering environment is so completely detached from the reality, which is, a, as you said, pretty disgraceful place to work. Some of the claims levelled in this story were that young staff were expected to sacrifice their days off, they're expected to sacrifice their paid leave, their sanity to help the company negate internal issues that basically arose from them just being understaffed and not hiring enough people. They were paying people $40,000 salaries, which I'll admit is a pretty standard salary for a graduate position. However, they were constantly demanding that people be online at 1am. And on one occasion, when these young workers were at home at 1am in the morning, they were expected to take a photo of them in bed to prove to their bosses that they were still working, despite the average expectation that you would clock off at what, like 6pm, 5pm? <laughs> and be sleeping. I think for some people who might be listening to this, it might be weird in a pop culture podcast to be talking about company culture. But I do think that there's a really interesting tie here. I think the allure of cool brands has emerged as we started Instagramming our lives. Like everything we did became a branding exercise, even your place of work. And I think it's not just now about the products that we use. Our lives have become about the companies that we work for. And I think in the same way, as I said before, companies marketed their products, they marketed their workplaces too. And I think that's a very 2019 pop culture thing that companies are more than businesses. They now brand themselves as movements. Think about Glossier. Yeah, totally. Away has more than half a million followers on Instagram. I would almost argue that in 2019, brands can be celebrities. There can be really glittery, cool brands to work for. And Away is absolutely one of them. To think that half a million people are following a brand that sells luggage online is a really interesting fact. Like it must have some type of narrative attached to the company itself that makes it so alluring. What I find interesting about this is that we have Instagramified work and workplaces so much, particularly female-founded ones. And I um, I want this to be really, really clear. I think it's amazing that we have more female-founded companies. I think there has to be parity between male-founded and female-founded companies just for there to be equality. However, I think something that we've fallen into is that we think that female-founded companies are going to be unicorns and that they are going to be different from the businesses we've seen in the past and that women will bring another slant or edge to business that we haven't seen. And I I think that might be a mistake because brands like Away tend to sell us on this idea that they make the world a better place just by existing or that they bring something that no other company can bring to their employees. And at the end of the day, that's just masquerading the fact that they're a company that needs to turn profit that exists to make money. Well, this is what I find interesting. I think we in part demanded from companies and from brands for them to exist under a greater purpose than just business, like do some good for the world. So they sold us a story of how they could do that and then when internal company culture seemed to be something that was toxic or unhealthy we said well you sold yourself as one thing and now you're another I think that idea of the double-edged sword of the, the high profile female founder is an interesting one I think the high profile female founder by virtue of the fact there's not as many make their story public because often it's a very good story yeah. it's a story we want to hear we demand to hear it who doesn't want to hear of a woman killing it in an industry where 
particularly this one. In 2018, funding for female founders stalled at 2.2% of venture capital dollars in 2018. That's according to Fortune. So if they're not being able to raise money, if they're only demanding 2.2% of all venture capital money, a story of two women who are able to raise an exorbitant amount of money for a travel company is really extraordinary. What happens though is by making their story public, we expect so much more of them because we know them as people or we think we know them as people and then are very disappointed when they turn out to be the average company head. Dictator. A little bit. Who knows what the comparison would be like between other male founders? Yeah, totally. I find that interesting. There was a, there was a lot of backlash in a way, right? Because we've seen them so much in Vogue. We've seen them in all these glossy magazines and these podcast interviews where it comes across like the perfect workplace. And this piece proves that it has been anything but for the majority of people who work there. However, one tweet that really pushed back on the tidal wave of negativity coming towards Jen Rubio and Steph Corey was a tweet from a woman called... A Nuvora. And I really want your opinion on this, Sarah, because as you know, of course, Jen Rubio wasn't really focused on in the story. It was more Steph Corey and her management practices and how dogmatic she was. Well, Jen Rubio is the brand whiz. Like mm-hmm. she is the one that's working on the brand. So she's not in the office as much. So Steph Corey was definitely the focus of this piece. Absolutely. Here's a Nuvora's tweet. Is Steph Corey different from Bezos? Musk jobs. Isn't being difficult as a CEO part of the magic of all these household names? Even Bill Gates had a temper and wasn't the best boss early on in Microsoft's history. Glad this story is out, but can we talk about the double standard at play? Now, I'll give you my opinion before you give me yours. I'm not sure this tweet is fair because people do hate Jeff Bezos from Amazon and people really do hate Elon Musk from Tesla. So it's not as if we're heralding all of those three men as being the best bosses ever and running the most efficient, glorious, happy workplaces in the world. So I'm kind of confused where she's coming from. I do wonder though, is there a gendered element at play that we expect female bosses to be palatable and friendly and likable when we don't necessarily expect that from male CEOs? I think there's a couple of things about that tweet that probably because it's tweet, it can't really get into the nuance of maybe what it meant. But what I think that means is not that we're going to come for them in different ways, but I think the sentiment after we've come for them is different. I think Steph Corey will struggle building her reputation back up in comparison to someone like Bezos or Elon Musk. I think it's how it sticks to you is very, very, very different. So do I think that we expect more from female founders? I think we expect more from female founders who brand themselves as feminists or feminist companies because there's a long way to fall. But then the other thing I said to you this week is, do they even have to brand themselves as unicorn-like feminist companies or do we do that for them? If we just see a female founder killing it in an industry where we're not used to seeing a female there, do we just put that label and put that branding on her for her? I'm not sure. Me I think either. I think in this particular case, Steph Corey and Jen Rubio really did ascribe that label to themselves. And if you go through Steph Corey's Instagram page in particular, it doesn't have a huge following, but it's obviously another branding exercise for a way. She very, very much pushes the message of female empowerment and it being a feminist woke workplace to work for. So I think that is partly her own doing. I just become very frustrated when I think that companies tell us that they're anything but a company. Like you're not some feminist 
charity. You just are. You don't need to tell us that you're doing X, Y, and Z for the universe. All you need to do. Do you really believe that? Because because companies are good. Companies put dinners on table. They give salaries to people. They give stable employment. That should be enough. I truly believe that. As long as you're not doing harm, which we come back to all the time, you're doing a good thing by having a company. You are employing people and you are giving them a job. I think that element absolutely champion that. If you have 5,000 stable employees, you're doing a good thing for 5,000 people. Assuming you're looking after them. Yeah, exactly. But do no harm. I think in other contexts, though, we've been prone to asking a lot of companies, not a heap, but asking them to have purpose or asking them to stand up for small things or issues that matter. So I think it's easy for us in one vein to argue one thing when in a different context, sometimes we'd argue something else. I think as well, acknowledging my own bias here, I did for a time work for a company that before I worked there was my dream workplace. So whenever conversations around dream workplaces or cool millennial workplaces comes up, I do feel this level of emotional attachment to that idea because I think when you're on the inside, it can be so different to what you thought it was going to be. I did want to say I would really recommend listening to How I Built This with Jen Rubio. It was an interview from, I think, I can't even remember if it was this year, but Jen Rubio sat down with Guy on his NPR podcast to talk about the building up of a way. And I think with this all in mind, it's sometimes interesting to go back and hear the other side of the story and how they're trying to sell it to us. The second thing that I wanted to finish on, Mish, is I think in this case, when we're talking about toxic workplace culture, it's very easy to call companies out for doing things that you may not have agreed with as you you know worked within its walls. But I think when it comes to The Verge and a three-month investigation, there's so much credibility and legitimacy that comes from a journalist crossing off every T and dotting every single I and being bound by law and legality and an intensive journalistic process to expose these things in comparison to a few people calling it out on social media. Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top-ish five (laughs) stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Andrews, what do you... Michelle Elizabeth Andrews, shall I say. What have you got for me? My first story, Taylor Swift drops new holiday song, Christmas Tree Farm, and a music video featuring home footage that is from People. We played this before we jumped on mic, Zara, because somehow over the last two days you hadn't heard it. I know. It is a great It's a great, great song. I think this is like all your dreams coming true. Number one, Taylor Swift. Number two, Christmas Jingle. Both of of those things are such Zara McDonald things. She has such a beautiful like jingling of bells behind (laughs) the song. And I did listen to it and I said, this will be a catchy song. Like there are so few songs that I listen to and think that will be catchy. Yeah, I'm already, I've listened to it maybe three times and I already know the chorus off by heart. So I agree with you there. I also really love the music video featuring home footage. Did you know... Fun fact, she only wrote this last weekend, recorded it on Monday, made the music video during the week and released it today because she was like, I'm in the Christmas spirit. I could either wait and release this properly next year or just fucking drop it and do it right now. I love hearing stories like that because it speaks to talent, right? But it also speaks to maybe how flexible the industry is, that maybe it's not a slow moving machine like we sometimes think. And that if artists want to do something on the, of the moment, they can if they're in Taylor Swift's position. I was going to say, if they're Taylor Swift, I'm sure they can do whatever they want. And own their own music finally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you did 
did say it's called Christmas Tree Farm because she lived on a Christmas tree farm. Yeah, it's really cute. And the home footage is glorious. I love watching original home videos, particularly from the early 90s. Like, it's great that they even still have that stuff. Very, very wholesome. My second story, Justin Timberlake apologises to his amazing wife over pictures with CoStar. That is from news.com. And oh my God, I was surprised that he responded. Obviously, we did this segment last week on Justin Timberlake and holding hands with his co-star Alicia Wainwright I was very very stunned to see that he came out and said something so publicly do you want to read it out for us absolutely he wrote I stay away from gossip as much as I can but for my family I feel it is important to address recent rumors that are hurting the people I loved a few weeks ago I displayed a strong lapse in judgment but let me be clear nothing happened between me and my co-star I drank way too much that night and I regret my behavior I should have known better this is not the example I want to set for my son. I apologise to my amazing wife and family for putting them through such an embarrassing situation and I'm focused on being the best husband and father I can be. This was not that. I find a couple of things in this statement interesting because you can just imagine a comms team pouring over every single word. First and foremost, I rarely comment on gossip <laughs> as if this is a gossip story and not, not just like photos. photographic evidence of him doing it. Totally. Secondly, refusing to name his co-star, I feel an interesting but smart choice. Yeah, Don't I put think a face to putting it. another woman in there yeah. makes the optics and the juxtaposition of both women really tense. And it really personalises it, right? Yes. It really personalises his relationship with her rather than a strictly professional one. Beale's team, um, I think, might have leaked a statement to people, if it wasn't her team, it was sources close to her anyway, that said that she was sticking by him, that she was getting through it, and there was still a lot of spin on that side of it too. So it looks like they're going to push through this and they're trying to manage the story as well as they can. Oh, Justin, keep your hands off other women who aren't your wife, I or think. Else, or else huge paycheck. Do you reckon she'd st- he'd still have to pay out even no. though he's been caught? I think if it was, the, it's the cause of the divorce, that's what would have been in the prenup. Apparently, reportedly, <laughs> all of the words. Allegedly. My third story, this Insta model is giving very awkward interviews about hooking up with Sam Burgess. That is from Pedestrian TV. If you are not into sport, Sam Burgess, and I'm going to try and wrap my head around this because I'm from Melbourne and we don't care really about rugby in Melbourne, or I don't anyway. Sam Burgess is an ex-NRL player? Yes. Star? Yes. And he was married to Phoebe Burgess, who was a journalist, and they had a very high-profile split just around the time that he was embroiled in this strange sexting scandal. They got back together because she'd just given birth, and then they've split again. This is one of the more bizarre stories I've seen this week, and I'm just going to give you the facts, and then maybe we'll move on. And you give us the facts, and you can just decide to think however you like. So, a U.S. woman by the name of Oak Shoots went to the Daily Telegraph after reportedly spending some time with Sam Burgess. She is a an Instagram model with about 20,000 followers and told the media the minute that she started seeing him. And when I say started seeing him, she saw him for a total of four days. After she, you know, spent a bit of time with him, perhaps Had an a e- rendezvous. Perhaps an evening, she said to the Daily Telegraph, I'm going to take a chance on him. Maybe it's just a fling. I hope it's not, but it's fun right now. We're dating for sure. It's exciting. What the fuck? Like, I know you said we're not going to give comments on this, but I just find it strange that she'd go to the media two days after meeting him. Like, that's odd, right? I mean, I'm not going to the media two days after dating someone. But oh, you're hooking up with Sam Burgess. 
Daily Mail, are you listening? I am not doing that. Uh, two days later, in a new interview published in the oh Daily by the Daily Telegraph, she said um, the pair were hanging out for literally all of four days what? and that Burgess went quiet after their romance hit the headlines. She told the Daily Telegraph, he was really lovely, he's such a gentleman. He was asking me in the morning if I was all right after the story of us appeared in the paper. She also said she did not know if the footballer would ever contact her again. A love affair for our times. As, the love story of 2019. As is customary when interviews are made public and people don't respond in the way that you want them to. She then took to Instagram and expressed frustrations about the articles coming out and quotations taken out of context. Oh dear. So Sam Burgess had some rendezvous with a woman who went straight <laughs> to the press and what an unfortunate time for him. I also think I said rendezvous before instead of rendezvous and I think that's because I'm so used to reading the Daily Telegraph's opinion section which is called rendezvous. <laughs> so true. So before anyone comes into the group to tell me I've mispronounced something, I know it's rendezvous. Do you? <laughs> rendezvous. Rendezvous. People at the Daily Telegraph will be stoked for all this <laughs> publicity. You're welcome. <laughs> My fourth story. Queer Eye star Jonathan Van Ness makes history with Cosmo cover. That is from CNN. Now, Zara, I don't know about you. I love Queer Eye and I love Jonathan Van Ness, but in the same token, I almost feel like his relevancy has gone over my head. Like the Jonathan Van Ness cult's following has passed me by and I look at the people who love him so intensely and I'm like, I kind of want to be on your train. Like that looks like fun. Totally. I'd actually love to start. come to our Facebook group if you are like a Jonathan Van Ness super fan and come to the thread where we talk about the episode and talk to us about what you love so much about him. Because I can see on face value exactly why people love him, but it's that intensity of love that I want to get around. So he was the first solo non-female cosmopolitan UK magazine cover star in more than 30 years. He took Daily Mail to town for misusing his pronouns, didn't he? Yes. So Daily Mail said the first man to grace the Cosmo cover, which he came out on Twitter and said that's actually incorrect. So for those wondering, Jonathan Van Ness is non-binary. His preferred pronouns are actually he, him and his, but he doesn't identify as a man. He identifies as a non-woman. So that term and that phrasing might seem frivolous and might seem non-important to a lot of people, but I think it is important to him and I think it's worthwhile that we just use care when we talk about him. Yeah, it's literally just using care and thoughtfulness. And I loved the stand first on the front cover of the magazine, which said Jonathan Van Ness, yep, we did it. You're totally welcome. Oh, that's so... So good. People do really, really love him. And I'm not saying I don't by any measure. I'm just saying I feel like I've missed the boat. And I want to know what is it about him that makes your adoration so intense and so what makes you infatuated? Because I want to be on board. My last story, Emma Stone announces engagement to Dave McCary. This is from Mari Claire. (laughs) Did I get that right? Yes, I deliberately put it in from Mari Claire to say this is a nice, simple, uncomplicated story. Emma Stone, I didn't actually know she was with someone that she was going to be engaged to. Two years. This completely went over my head as well. The last thing I remember, she was dating that guy from Spider-Man. Yeah, Andrew Garfield. I really liked him. But he is, Dave McCarry is an SNL writer, so likely very funny and very clever too. And they announced their engagement just on Instagram with a ring photo. So and nice the and ring simple. Looked, the ring looked pretty modest, which I really like as well. Like if you want to have a huge ring, go for it. But I, I think it's kind of on brand for Emma Stone to have quite a modest ring that kind of looks like what any of us would get for our engagement. Is that all you've got for me? That is all I've got. Coming up after the break, is it okay for Drake to be texting teenage girls plus the official first instalment of Zara Predicts? But first, a word from our sponsor. 
This week, in an interview with Vanity Fair, 17-year-old singer Billie Eilish said she was friends with 33-year-old rapper Drake. Though they've never met in person, nor did she give any details regarding the messages they exchange, she said they've texted quite a bit and referred to him as a homie of hers. Twitter erupted, for this is not the first time it's been revealed Drake texts teenagers. Earlier this year, 14-year-old actor Millie Bobby Brown said she did the same with Drake, referring to him as a close friend. The consensus on line was this. It's creepy and it's weird. It's also not that okay. Mish, let's go beyond surface tweets to actually talk about this. How did you feel when you saw Eilish's quotes? I felt concerned. And I I know that a lot of people online have come back and said that Billie Eilish will be 18 in a week and a half. I don't think that's entirely relevant because we know for a fact that Drake has been texting her this year when she has been 17 and therefore underage. I feel concerned. I'm going to put it that way. But I do want to give some context as always before we really dive in. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Drake. I mean, this week he was announced as Spotify's Artist of the Decade. He has more than 28 billion streams of his music on the platform over the last 10 years. His real name is Aubrey Drake Graham. He is a 33-year-old Canadian musician. And a fun fact, Zara, did you know he got his start as an actor on Degrassi, The Next Generation? Yes, everybody knows that, don't they? I mean, when I was doing my research, I'm like, I think I knew that, but it's just been like reminded. I've been reminded of it now. Well, there you go. Yes, he came from Degrassi and look where he is now. Started from the bottom and now he's here. Oh, uh-huh. Degrassi was certainly not the bottom. I would say Degrassi was the top. <laughs> anyway, he's had a steady decline ever since. That could be a tangent of its own kind. Yes. Now, look, this isn't the first time, as you said, that Drake has been caught texting teenage girls. It was revealed last year on the Emmys red carpet in an interview with Millie Bobby Brown that Drake texted her, I miss you so much when she was just 14. I'm going to put a snippet of that here so that it's not taken out of context. What about your relationship with Drake? Tell me about your friendship. How did this all come about? I love him. I met him in Australia and um, he's honestly so fantastic and a great friend and a great uh, great role model. You know, we text, we just text each other the other day and he was like, I miss you so much. I was like, I miss you more. He's coming to Atlanta, so I'm definitely going to go and see him. I'm so excited. Yeah. I don't think I'm the only adult listening to this who is uncomfortable with the fact that a then 31-year-old man was messaging a then 14-year-old girl. Yeah, it's a weird look. And it's not just a look I think that's weird. I think it's a power dynamic and relationship that's weird. Last year when it was revealed that he had a close relationship with Millie Bobby Brown and she was 14 years old, he was rumoured to be dating Bella Harris, an 18-year-old model whom he met when she was 16. In 2016, it was also reported that he was dating then 18-year-old Hayley Baldwin He initially met her when she was 14 years old. So I think when you put these things together, and I do think it's very important to put these things back to back and just have a look at patterns. I think patterns here are really, really important. I think we've spoken on the podcast before about how delicate your conversations and our conversations need to be around age gaps and around power dynamics when it's an older man and a younger woman. But I do think there is something about the immaturity of a young woman that doesn't understand, and particularly in the case of Billie Eilish and Millie Bobby Brown, doesn't understand the furor around their own comments. Yeah, I do wonder if the controversy stirred up by the Billie Eilish interview is only because of the context it's within. I wonder if we had heard that Drake was texting Billie Eilish and she's almost 18 and that they just have a professional relationship if anyone would have raised an eyebrow at that. I think it's the context predating this interview that really stood out to everyone. I do want to ask you, Zara, before we get more into Drake and who he is, I do want to ask, do you think 
think an adult man can have a completely innocent, non-concerning, textual, which isn't a word, but I'm going to make it one, textual relationship with a 14-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old that he is not related to? Well, it feels like quite an absolute question but because the answer has to be, well, yes, because you have to account for anomalies. But I would say the vast majority of these kinds of relationships are strange despite the intention. Like you can't say absolutely there's not a case where it's normal because that's just unfair. There was a really interesting quote in The Independent last year when this first came up with Drake and Millie Bobby Brown. Katie Goh, who is a great writer, wrote, maybe it's easy to read too much into the situation, but personally I can see no circumstances in which a 31-year-old man sending an I miss you text to a 14-year-old girl to whom he is not related is appropriate, no matter how wise beyond her years that girl seems. And that's where the grey area comes in, right? That, yes, some of these child stars might appear to be really mature. They might appear to be years beyond their actual chronological age. But ages are important. And I know that they're a made-up construct, but they're also something that we use as a key structure in our society to organise it and to protect people. And although maturity and rationality and independence might vary between teenagers, I think it's really important that we acknowledge the power dynamic between a young girl and one of the most, if not the most, powerful men in the music industry. Yes, age is a made-up construct, but it's the easiest way to signify maturity. And like you said, it's not the same for every single person, but it is the easiest way to signify maturity just by virtue of life experience. Nylon Sandra Song wrote a really interesting article about Drake. I'm not sure if you read this one, Mish. And she wrote about the important role of teen fandom here. The idea that it's not just an age imbalance between Eilish and Millie Bobby Brown, but it's kind of like this awe imbalance. He's like an idol. Exactly. And I think because he is such a distinguished figure in an industry that they want to continue making it in. It's not just an age or it's not just a power imbalance, but is that teen fandom or imbalance? An element of this story that I do find fascinating is that Drake has managed to cultivate such a soft, memeable persona in the public sphere. And I do wonder if Eminem or Kanye West were caught texting teenage girls in the industry if we would afford them so much benefit of the doubt. I don't think we would. I think a lot of this is tied to the fact that Drake has a very unassuming and unthreatening public image. I'm wondering if you saw a tweet that went viral. And when I say viral, I really do mean it. This was liked by more than a quarter of a million people, which on Twitter in 2019 is a fuckload of people. I didn't know that many active people could still be liking tweets, really. But Kieran Scarlett, who is a host of a podcast, tweeted this out. I'm the same age as Drake. I don't even have a desire to text teenagers I'm related to. And by By the way, a 32-year-old man who we know is texting two teenage girls is never only texting two teenage girls, if you get my drift. He also wrote, Millie Bobby Brown and now Billie Eilish, two underage girls who say Drake texts them, this is troublesome, something we should maybe sit up and pay attention to, like now, as opposed to later when we usually do, lamenting that we should have paid attention. I think this point is a hard one for people to swallow, but I think it's an important one for us to talk about. We're so scared so scared to call this stuff out early when it's not clear and obvious. The nuance and early conversations, though, are crucial. What behaviour leads to worse things I think we need to be talking about? What signs do we need to be looking for? Yes, these conversations have to be smart and informed and well-researched, but they are so, so important. We can't just have a conversation about bad behaviour once criminal behaviour has been committed. Absolutely. And I don't think it's really relevant if Millie Bobby Brown or Billie Eilish, Billie Eilish to a lesser extent because she does have, what, three years on Millie. But I don't think it's relevant if these girls come out and say, 
say, oh, you guys are making a big deal out of nothing. This is completely platonic, completely innocent. He's a mentor to me. Because I'm sure I'm not the only woman who looks back on things that adult men said to me when I was a teenager. And at the time, I thought it was totally cool that other people were making a big deal out of it, that it shouldn't be twisted into something it's not. And now, with the gift of a decade of life experience, I can look back as a 25-year-old and know that those things weren't as innocent as I wanted them to be or that I depicted them to be. And I think lots of teenage girls can't see the context at play. I've spoken about this with my girlfriends, whether it be old teachers that we had or men that were in our life and scenarios that we found funny at the time that actually aren't that funny now. And there were scenarios that if you put on paper wouldn't be spectacularly damning, but they'd sure have question marks around them. I don't think there are many women that wouldn't have those examples in front of them. I wanted to ask you, did you see in all of your research that in 2010, there was this video of Drake that was, and it's, this is not a very well spoken about video, but I'll find the video on YouTube and put it in the Facebook group once this episode is live. In Denver in 2010, Drake invited a young girl on stage during his performance. He danced with her. He kissed her neck. He commented on her shampoo. He pulled her shirt down at the back of the neck and kissed her again. After reaching both hands, like right across her chest, as he was like standing behind her and he is quite imposing as he stands behind her, he picked up the microphone and he said to the entire crowd at the gig that he was getting carried away and then asked this young girl how old she was. She said 17 and he said to the crowd, I can't go to jail yet, man. He said, why do you look like that? You thick, look at all this. Then as he was ushering her off stage, he said to the crowd into a microphone, I don't know if I should feel guilty or not, but I had fun. I like the way your breasts feel against my chest. Then he kissed her on the cheeks and the forehead. Yes, I found that in my research, but I didn't read that last quote about the I like the way your breasts feel against my chest. Did you come across the stuff about him and Rihanna? Yeah, this was also very interesting. Now, I'm sure some of you remember that at the 2016 VMAs, Drake got up and he was giving Rihanna a lifetime recognition award kind of thing. He got up and basically announced his adoration for Rihanna and said that he had been in love with her for the better part of a decade. Rihanna kind of dodged his kiss. He kind of went for a kiss on the lips, allegedly, after he did this speech and she kind of dodged it. But he very much publicly pursued Rihanna for a significant amount of time. Last year in Vogue, Rihanna did reject him and said, you know what, we're not close anymore, we're not friends. The way Drake responded to that rejection from Rihanna was within five months to announce that he was collaborating with Chris Brown, a.k.a. the man who once threw a closed fist in her eye and then threatened, allegedly, that he was going to kill her. And I love the way that Hannah Georges from The Atlantic put it. Drake has very publicly declared his love for Rihanna. In choosing to collaborate with Brown, he now publicly aligns himself with the man who battered her. I find that choice to collaborate with a man who bashed your former friend and the woman that you purportedly loved for so long to be a very curious and very, I'll say it, vengeful one. I do want to add one more example of Drake treating women terribly because I think it is important. Did you know that he got a woman pregnant in early 2017 and when this woman, who happens to be an adult film star, came out and her team made a public appeal for him to do a paternity test and give her child support, which of course she 
years old, his team issued this statement. This woman has a very questionable background. She is admitted to having multiple relationships. We understand she may have problems getting into the United States. Guess what? Over a year later, it was revealed that yes, he is that child's father. And yes, now he does have to pay child support. So for this man to go publicly and slam this woman's reputation and bring her career into it, bring her questionable background up is so disgusting when he probably knew that he was that kid's father and he just didn't want to admit it publicly. Yeah, it certainly appears like that just at surface level. It's a really interesting one because I think when it comes to Drake, so many of our conversations about him or the tweeting around him has just been around those two isolated incidents of texting Millie Bobby Brown and Billie Eilish. But I think putting it all into context is very important. And I'll come back to that idea that it's so important that even if you feel uncomfortable and even if we don't know how to have these conversations yet about behaviour we don't know how to label, we still need to have them because they are crucial for us working out what's okay and what's not okay and calling out this stuff before we regret not doing so earlier. It's time. It's It's fucking time. I knew it was time because I'm an oracle, so I knew it was coming. (laughs) Now, for anyone who's coming to Shameless for the first time, first of all, welcome. So glad to have you tuning in. Zara, in case you weren't aware, is an oracle. She can read the future. And for anyone who wants to disagree with us, I urge you to go back and listen to last week's episode where she successfully predicted the winner of Male Artist of the Year at the Arias. It was a best album. I can't quite remember. best artist. You predicted the weather in Mullumbimby. You kind of predicted a netball result. You've predicted every winner of the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchises over the last God knows how many years, too many. You have a gift. We're putting it to the test today on the podcast and I have two questions for you that I desperately want you to answer. Right, we're going to kick off with Jen who wants to know exactly how her first date with a man tomorrow night is going to go. Hello. Hello, is that Jen? Yes, this is she. Jen, thanks for listening to Shameless whatsoever. (laughs) We appreciate your support. You are on the phone with the oracle of Shameless that is Zara McDonald. I would thank you for taking time, but you should be thanking me for giving (laughs) you my time. Jen, what are we predicting today? Um, I'm going on a date on Tuesday night. Okay. And what app are we talking? Bumble. Right. How long have you been talking for? Uh, oh, since like maybe. <laughs> this is so dumb. I love it. Jen, come armed with facts. <laughs> since, what day is it today? Maybe since like Monday. Nice. Okay. So maybe. a good a good lead up. We love a quick lead up actually. That's really great. We do like a quick lead up. Okay, Jen, the other thing I want to know, how many first dates have you been on in the last couple of, maybe last six months? Oh, um, maybe three. Interesting. Am I allowed to ask any questions? No. No, of course you can. What is it that you like? <laughs> Why do you want to meet this one? Like what is it about him that's made you go, Ah, I want to go on a date. He's really cute and he's quite funny. Ooh. And I have to say, I'm going back and forth here, Jen, but I have to say if you've called the podcast phone about a date, I have a hunch you have a good feeling about this because <laughs> why make a deal of it if you if you secretly don't think that it's going to go well? Do we know what the date's going to be? I would love to know that. I think it's just going to be going for like drinks or something. Drinks. See where the night. Pretty yeah. casual. See where Pretty the casual. night takes us. Nice one, Jen. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. So we want an outcome, Zara. We want you to predict, and we're going to get Jen back on the phone next week to give us a rundown. You, I reckon you need to maybe give like the date a rating out of 10, how good it's going to be, and if there'll be a date too. 
Okay, I'm going to give the date a seven and a half out of ten and there will be a date too. Would you like to add any okay. other comments that could you give, give you like bonus prediction points? I think that there'll be a few dates in this lineup. yes. <laughs> Jen's very stoked about that. All right, Jen, we'll get you back on the phone next week. Can you please just give this date seven and a half out of ten when you get back on the phone? That would be great. <laughs> Can do. I trust you to be honest, Jen. All right, we'll, we'll catch up with you in a week's time. I'll see you then. Bye. Good luck, Jen. Good luck. All right, shameless listeners, pop that date in your calendars. Tuesday night, Jen, our beloved shameless listener, is going on a Bumble date and Zara will be catching up with her next week to see how her prediction of a 7.5 and at least two additional dates in the pipeline has fared. All right, Zara. Michelle. (laughs) Your second prediction. I'm going to give you one short-term one that we can catch back up on next week and check in with how you did when we call Jen back. However, I want a long-term prediction for you. And hopefully we're still doing the podcast by the time this eventuates, but I do want to get your take on it. This week, Lauren put in the Facebook group, Zara. Can you please predict what year Prince Charles will become king? I mean, it's a bit morbid because that prediction insinuates the death of the queen. In fact, I think it depends on it. (laughs) I'm just very intrigued as to how things will change. For example, coins and the coronation, etc. Who uses coins anymore anyway? Yeah, also chill. Lauren, (laughs) come on. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Zara, help. (laughs) Okay, so there's a few layers to this question and I appreciate you taking the time to get in touch. (laughs) Um, What do I think? I actually think that the Queen won't die before Prince Charles takes over. Like I do absolutely think that Prince Charles will take over. What year are we in now? So we're in 2019. I think they need to evade a bit of bad press but. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So when would that take us to? Oh, wait, that seems like a lot. Yeah, it is a long Should time. We, I reckon... This uh, is your prediction. I Don't know. tell me. It also, t- come on. The Oracle can have a bit of thoughts back and forth in our own <laughs> mind. Um, this sounds more like, less like Oracle and more like just an estimated <laughs> guess. That is exactly what being an Oracle is. <laughs> I can't believe I sold you all on the magic. It's Taking just, in all the facts and just it's taking just, a stab in the dark. Yeah, it's just thoughtful thinking <laughs> as opposed to your just regular thinking go on okay so I think the queen first and foremost will die at the age of 101 how old is she now she's 93 Wow. yeah and she's looking fit and fab yeah she is don't you reckon I mean sure so I reckon three years from here Prince Charles will take over and and Queenie will go to heaven at 101 how do you feel about that I mean it does sound really morbid now that we're talking about when a woman's gonna die but how brilliant that she's been able to live well into her 90s and seems to still be living her best life Apart from when Prince Andrew fucks everything up. Cool. So I'll check back in in three years about Prince Charles and a further, what, eight? <laughs> She's still alive. That, that version of Prince Charles was like Prince Charles. Yeah. <laughs> we've, been not, we've been recording for nearly an hour now. Forgive my mispronunciations. Hey, I think that's all we've got time for today. I think it is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. We so appreciate your support. Zara and I are independent podcasters, so we do really rely on all of you getting around the podcast and supporting it, and we're so grateful when you do so. So... If you want to help us out in the Apple podcast charts or on Spotify, click subscribe on Apple or click follow in your Spotify app. That would be so, so helpful. In the meantime, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community and we will be back in your ears on Thursday. Woohoo! Bye, guys.
Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.